Hi, how are you doing? It's been a while. How have you been? I'm standing in a field near the beautiful River Usk in Wales. The sun's out, but it's muddy underfoot. It rained pretty much all day yesterday. Around me there are huge veteran oaks and sweet chestnuts and swallows are swooping overhead. There's a helter-skelter, big wheel and tents with loud music filtering out of them and hundreds of happy muddy festival goers milling about. I'm Melissa Harrison and I'm a novelist and nature writer. Through the spring, summer and autumn of that strange year, 2020, I helped you keep in touch with the natural world and the changing seasons. Now I'm back for a one-off live episode recorded on August the 19th at the brilliant Green Man 2023. Welcome to episode 31 of The Stubborn Light of Things. waiting to go on stage where I'll be talking to Marshall Farrell, author of Uprooting from the Caribbean to the countryside, finding a home in an English country garden. I'm thinking about what it means to perform, about the selves we inhabit for different occasions. When I first became a writer, when I went to events, I had a certain set of clothes that I would put on that were my writing clothes that was like, like a shield, I suppose. And I used to keep parts of me back like the fact that I really like going to festivals and clubs and dancing in fields. But now, especially at an event like this, all those things get brought together and I'm here as I am. Wish me luck. Hi everybody, welcome back to the Talking Shop stage. Um, We have uh, a surprise of sorts for you tonight, uh, this afternoon whatever time it is, Melissa Harrison, um, who you may know from her nature writing, her novels, children's books, pretty much everything that needs words. Um, And also her incredibly popular podcast, The Stubborn Light of Things. And she's recording a very... Oh, that's nice. Nice round of applause. (laughs) She is recording a very special edition of that live today at the festival. So we're very, very honoured. She's going to be in conversation with Marshall Farrell. I should mention that Marshall has an event tomorrow with her own book, Uprooting, at midday. Okay, Melissa Harrison, Marshall Farrell, enjoy. Uh, as Laura said, you are all now part of the Stubborn Light of Things because we're recording this event now, and there'll be a special new episode going out in about a week's time. So. Your writing is such a part now, I think, of the kind of rich heritage of British nature writing, you know, of kind of naturalists and nature noticers who go out and really closely observe the kind of natural world around us and then write it down and share that with other people. Thank you. I I like that nature noticer 
because mm. you don't have to be an expert and that's really important it's just about going out and seeing and feeling and taking something away from that yeah and there's a beautiful episode of your podcast where you take us out with you um, to look for a barn owl and you, you warn us that this is probably going to be a dud episode because if you're looking for a barn owl you're never going to find a barn owl but then actually you do encounter the barn owl and your joy and delight and awe there was some shrieking I mean, it comes across so beautifully. I was listening while, I don't know, like doing the washing up at the kitchen sink or something. And I nearly wept. Like, it was just, it came across so incredibly in the recording. some of it was maybe relief because that was the third walk I'd done to try and find this blooming owl. And it, this is a weekly podcast. You haven't got that many chances. It's like, this, this has got to happen now. So there was some relief. But I, I read something recently which showed that among the general public, like not not necessarily nature lovers, but the general public, the things people care about are birds, mm. way up at the top, trees, and then that's it, really. So there is, we have a bird bias, you know, they're around us, they come yeah. quite close, we can hear them, and, you know, there's some identification that you can do even if you're not that much of an expert, so they're quite accessible. But also, I remember um, when I was a kid, I, I really loved um, a book called The Little Grey Men by um, Dennis Watkins Pitchford, who's also known as B.B. Mm. Um, and he described birds as being what fairies turned into. So when, oh. when, when the magic, when fairies left the earth, they became birds and they, we still have them. And I remember just thinking, oh my, that's true. That's just true, isn't it? They fly and they're small and they're beautiful. They're, that's... As a child who believed hugely in fairies, that makes a lot of sense. Right? Yeah. yeah. The extract from my Times Nature Notebook that I'd like to read today is from 2020, when this podcast was originally being made and broadcast. I remember the experience it describes so vividly although so much about those strange lockdown months seems to have been erased. Not so much forgotten, perhaps, as pushed away. Times Nature Notebook, August 2020. A blazing afternoon, the bare ground dry and baking hot, thunderclouds massing on the horizon. Stuck at my desk... Work not going well, I'd forced myself out of the house and was walking across a stubble field with my hands in the pockets of my dress and my head down, ruminating. Without warning, my heart jumped and began to pound and all the hairs on my arms stood on end. Looking around for the source of this odd, sudden fear, I saw a vortex of dust and straw about as tall as a man approaching silently from the left at about running pace. It passed in front of me, perhaps six feet away, meandered for 30 paces, slowed and simply vanished, leaving no evidence of itself behind. In America, they're known as dust devils. In Egypt, they're facet el afrit, ghost winds, and in Australia, willy willies. In Britain, they were once called straw devils for their habit of disarranging windrows of hay and tossing straw about. Here in Suffolk, for some reason, they were given the name Roger. We never dared leave doors or windows open on the farm when haymaking, as Roger might dump a pile of hay in the kitchen, one Twitter correspondent told me. 
In Ireland, if a fairy wind approached, you'd cast a handful of whatever you were working on into the vortex as a form of propitiation, an impulse I can understand. Despite recognising what it was, the phenomenon still felt extremely uncanny, its passage across the field completely unrelated to the prevailing breeze and strongly suggesting not the circular motion of heated particles, but some kind of conscious intent. Dust devils, which also occur on Mars, are electrically charged and create oscillating magnetic fields, and I wonder if that might explain my body's strange, pre-conscious hyper-alertness seconds before one crossed my path. Certainly they appear in the folklore of many countries as supernatural beings intent on mischief, and in some cultures as positively evil. What it felt like to me was a haunting an unquiet spirit tied to that one particular field that woke and rose and stumbled about in the daylight and then was vanquished and slipped back into the soil to sleep. book you write about and well because you you write you do your podcast you present on television as well I've guested on telly once or twice oh terrifying (laughs) you've been on the telly on spring watch I mean honestly and you talk about but you talk in the book about how some of these beloved tv programs of ours can have kind of created a form of entertainment of this kind of utopian vision of the natural world. Make it seem as if you just go out and you see wildlife and it's, it's as simple as that. Exactly. They show us an abundance that's no longer there. Um, and I wonder how you kind of feel about your writing and your podcast and your present, like your participation yeah. in that. And, you know, how, how do we even avoid that when, like you said, here we are on stage giving a performance yeah. really yeah I know it's about authenticity isn't it and truth um, there's two episodes in the podcast where I don't find the thing I was looking for there's uh, one is glowworms, mm. um, and the other is turtle doves and that's apt really because they are really hard to find now I think turtle doves were down to you know 2,000 pairs or something yeah. like that um, I have seen them in our village but they weren't there when I wanted to, to find them but I think there's something else that's important about that as well which is to do with um, showing people that um, it doesn't always go right and you fail and you don't always know you know sometimes you hear something and you don't know what it is and I think a lot of nature writing and nature tv it makes people seem like experts because what they've been able to do is go and look something up Mm. so when I write my column it's very easy to say you know and I walked across the windswept moor and a hobby crested through the air above me and what I've actually done is gone oh my god it's a bird and I don't know what it is and then I've managed to take a photo and then I've asked someone else (laughs) and all of that gets left out and you get the feeling that everyone who knows about nature is an expert and they're all just out there finding it easy and I think that becomes a barrier for other people because they never see you having to ask someone having to look something up having to get an app out on your phone and stand there for 10 minutes going oh my god I don't think it looked like that and it's bum was a different color and so trying to kind of allow that in to the process I think leaves the door open for everyone and and so I try when I you know when you're making a podcast you have to give something a story and a shape but I try to let it be as messy as I can there was an episode in the podcast where I went out to record nightingales and um 
uh, I got back. This was before I, I, I didn't know how to make a podcast. I was winging it, didn't yet have headphones, so I didn't know that you had to check what it was that you were recording. I just was out there with a the recorder. And I got back and um, there was water had got into my recorder and the entire recording was ruined. Oh, man. The whole, the whole thing. I'd walked 40 minutes. I'd recorded the whole podcast with Singing Nightingales. I got home and it was unusable. Oh, and man. And we had two... That was the Friday night and it went out on a Monday. Oh. So, you know, <laughs> things happen and they go wrong and you have to go in. And I also found out, I realised after that I had COVID at the time that I was recording that. I had this whole thing that the village church bells kept ringing and it was because I had tinnitus from COVID. Oh. And that's in the podcast. There's me going and I can faintly hear the village church bells which have been ringing for days now. I, I, got the, I got the local bell ringers to go and check the bells. They climbed up the tower. And then I got this text message going, it's all fine. And I was like, it's not fine though, is it? Because I can still hear the bells ringing. I was really quite ill. <laughs> I didn't realise... I will so, listen to the podcast with a di- very different, <laughs> very different. I'm so convinced. The next time, I call it ringing in your ears. I didn't realise it was that literal. <laughs> like to share with you today is called Acting and it's by the Welsh poet R.S. Thomas. Often described as a misanthrope, a curmudgeon and even a cantankerous get, there's a deep well of love in this poem that for me movingly undercuts its bitter opening lines. It's read for us by my good friend Eamon Murta of the What Goes Around podcast which I thoroughly recommend. Being unwise enough to have married her, I never knew when she was not acting. I love you, she would say. I heard the audiences sigh. I hate you. I could never be sure they were still there. She was lovely. I was only the looking glass she made up in. I husbanded the rippling meadow of her body. Their eyes grazed nightly upon it. Alone now, on the brittle platform of herself, she is playing her last role. It is perfect. Never in all her career was she so good. And yet the curtain has fallen. My charmer, come out from behind it to take the applause. Look, I am clapping too. have been so prolific in your career uh, which puts you into the public eye you know as a public person really being a published author being a presenter all of these things and so I really wonder how do you balance that how do you balance uh, having a persona a public persona with being authentic it's really hard it's really hard and it's got harder um, as time's gone on and it, it got a lot harder with the podcast because 
I think talking into people's ears, especially if they're using earbuds, through a time of enormous stress and anxiety for a lot of people, and being there every week and being calm and reassuring. I loved doing that, and it was a huge honour, and I am so proud. I'm unbelievably proud of that podcast. Mm. But it meant that I took up a position in people's lives that I didn't realise, and that's quite hard, because people began to, to need me in a way that I hadn't expected. Mm. We didn't expect it to have anything like the success it had. I mean, at one point, it was number nine out of all podcasts that anyone was listening to in the UK, any, including international podcasts. That's phenomenal. And this is like... That is, yeah. <laughs> I've never made a podcast before. I'd never even held a Zoom recorder before. Like, the whole thing was winged. The whole, it happened at a time when there was a sense that people could just wing it because, you know, suddenly we're watching the news and everyone on it was talking down into their laptop and you could see up their noses. Yeah. It all felt a bit like, oh, we don't know what we're doing. So I had a go. And it's, it's, a, it's a non-reciprocal relationship. However much you, you, want to, you want it to be different, people know me intimately, but I don't always know, know them. them. Yeah. And that's, that's been quite tricky to navigate. And I came off social media a bit for a bit and now obviously Twitter is now really uninhabitable un- anyway mm. um, the ex death zone don't just don't get me started <laughs> on that man but um, there's a way that you can navigate this and you'll be finding this so Marshall's book came out like a week ago and it is beautiful and you need to read it and you need to come back here tomorrow at 12 o'clock okay when Honestly. I'll be talking about that book yeah Thank but you. you're going to find this Mm. You know, it's it was a very selfish question. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> but there's, there's a way you can do it where you can have an author persona that you kind of put on, and, and that's different from your, your other self. And when I first became a writer, I tried a bit of that, mm. um, and I found it unsustainable. But the alternative to be yourself all the time is easier in some ways but harder because it means that you don't have any shields so when it's more vulnerable people are mean or 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 just need too much yeah that you've got nowhere to go so i don't i haven't i don't know what the answer is it's hard it's hard yeah but it's also an honor and i'm not this isn't don't get out to tiny violins i'm i'm incredibly proud and very lucky but yeah it's a tricky one No episode of The Stubborn Light of Things would be complete without hearing from everyone's favourite 18th century parson naturalist. Here are some of Gilbert White's diary entries for today, August the 19th. August the 19th. 1772. All the pastures are burnt up and scarce any butter made. Wheat in fine order and heavy. August the 19th, 1773. Terrible storm all night, which made sad havoc among the hops and broke off boughs from the trees. August the 19th, 1775. Wheat harvest in general seems to be finished, except where there is turnip wheat. Fifteen wasps' nests have been destroyed round the village, yet those plunderers devour the plum 
and eat holes in the peaches and nectarines before they are ripe and will soon attack the grapes. Grapes begin to turn colour. They are forward this year. Harvest weather was much finer in Ringma than Selborne. Some wheat a little grown at Newton. August the 19th, 1781. Mr Pink's turnips are infested with black caterpillars. He turned 80 ducks into the field, hoping they would have destroyed them but they did not seem much to relish the sort of food. I've known whole broods of ducks destroyed by their eating too freely of hairy caterpillars. August the 19th, 1787. Showers about, rainbows, vivid aurora. Could you let us know, Melissa, what's next for you? What, what's, what's, what's coming up next? What's coming next? So, a couple of things. One is a book that I've just handed in, which I can't talk about yet because it doesn't have a title and it's not been announced. Um, but it will be next year and it's about nature. But the much more exciting announcement I wanted to make was that I'm developing an app and it's going to be free and it's going to be ad-free and it's going to be a gift to you to help people connect with nature, whoever you are and wherever you live. And it's called Encounter. Um, it's going to be very beautiful. Um, and it's a nature journal that lives on your phone. Um, you can use, you can write text, you can do voice to text if you're on the move, you can take photos, you can do species identification, you can use it to record the route of your walk and pl plot in place all of your natural encounters. And there will be prompts from me telling you what to look out for at all times of the year. So you'll get a little alert if you want. You can opt out saying the chiff chaffs are back. Would you like to go and hear a chiff chaff this week? And I'm absolutely terrified because I don't know how to make an app. But it seems to be happening. So there's no getting out of it. Amazing. <laughs> so Aren't could nice. you all please... Uh, the thing I'd really like you to do is go to encounter-nature.com and give me your email address, and I will not spam you, I promise, but I will send you out the odd um, update on how it's going, and then when the time comes, I would really like some beta testers. You can say no, you know, consent is very important, but I would really, really like anyone who thinks it's a good idea to sign up, please. Thank you very much. Oh God, I've been longing to tell the world about the Encounter app for so long. It feels really good to finally put it out there. If you think it sounds like a good idea, please do go to encounter-nature.com and sign up for updates. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. That's us done. I think we've Is got it? to clear the, way for the comedy tent. And look now. at look at you all. Thank you so much for coming. You know, look at look at you all here. Thank you. Amazing. <laughs> Go to encounter-nature.com. Please do. And just thank you. I've not done an event for a couple of years, and this has just been absolutely brilliant. Loved it. Thank you.
well, it's getting dark now, and there are bubbles filled with smoke floating through the air. The big wheel is lit up, and so is the Helter Skelter, which I won't be going on, having sustained uh, my worst festival injury of my life on one of those several years ago. Stuck my elbows out, idiot. Before I sign off and go and throw myself into the festival, I guess you're wondering if this means there'll be a new series of the Stubborn Variety of Things. Now that I am an app creator, I don't think I'm going to have time. But I offer you Encounter in the same spirit as this podcast, a way of connecting with the world around you, a gift.